what really causes you to be shocked in our world today? What do you find to be appalling? When you hear headlines, when you read headlines about terrorism or politics or the fields of medicine, whatever else, do you respond with, well, nothing really surprises me anymore. The passage that we study this morning explains a situation that literally causes mouths to be stopped and the nations of the world to be astonished. Would you please locate in your copy of the Scriptures Isaiah chapter 52? It's in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible. It's on page 521 of the pew copy of the Scriptures. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets. They're referred to as major prophets because they are the larger books, the larger books of prophecy. It's divided, this book is divided into two sections, 39 chapters in the first section and 27 chapters in the second section. That second section of 27 chapters is also divided into three subdivisions of nine chapters apiece. And in this second section of chapters 40 through 66, we read about four songs, four servant songs, four songs about the servants of the Lord. They are very much like psalms. So if you read through the book of Psalms, you're reading songs. And these four servant songs are much like the psalms that we read. The first one is recorded in chapter 42, the first nine verses. And it teaches us the servant of the Lord will be chosen by God and will be empowered by the Spirit of God. The second song is in chapter 49, the first 13 verses. And it teaches us that the servant of the Lord has authority over Gentile nations and that he commands them to listen and to give attention to him. The third song of the suffering servant of the servant is found in chapter 50, verses 4 through 11, and it teaches us that the servant of the Lord will be vindicated even after his suffering. It's the fourth song that we are considering this morning. It's found at the end of chapter 52 and then kind of goes through chapter 53. So the, the chapter break, the uninspired chapter break, is, is a little bit unfortunate there for us, but it's chapter 52, verses 13 through chapter 53, verse number 12. It teaches us about the servant of the Lord's mission and specifically identified as the Messiah. The servant of the Lord is the Messiah, the one who will bring salvation to the world as he dies as a sacrifice for sin. We are taking six communion Sundays, six communion service Sundays on the in the morning service during this year of 2019 to study this fourth servant song. It has five stanzas to it. The first stanza is what we will think on this morning. It's chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, and it's talking about the astonishing suffering servants. The first three verses of chapter 53 talk about the rejected suffering servants. The next stanza is the successful suffering servants. The next stanza is the innocent suffering servants. And the last part of 53, the fifth stanza, is the sufficient suffering servants. Before I read this song, let me remind you about the timing of this servant song. Isaiah is speaking about a future day near the end of history. It's a day that comes thousands of years after Christ has already been crucified. 
Isaiah was speaking towards a day that's still future for you and for me. This is important as we read it, as we understand the context. He's speaking about a day that's still future for all of us. He was looking back at Christ's death, and he was looking ahead to Christ's return. And for Israel, this song was actually a lament of repentance. It's a song that they sorrow for how they went astray from the man of sorrows. And they look forward to his exaltation. Follow along as I read, please, from God's word. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 13. Behold, behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who has believed our reports and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And, we, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had, not, he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his lay days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, 
and made intercession for the transgressors. This is God's word. It is a song that they sorrowed as they look back, as thinking, as they will look back, thinking on Christ's death, but considering also what is yet to come. The first stanza of this song is contained in the final three verses of chapter 52. And everything in these three verses teaches us that the servants of the Lord is astonishing. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be astonished at Him this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be astonished at Him this morning. Behold the astonishing suffering servant. He is the only one who can take away your sins. Before we come to the table, reflect this morning on the astonishing testimony of this servant, the astonishing humiliation of this servant, and the astonishing exaltation of the servant. First, the suffering servant is astonishing in his testimony. Verse 13 says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. This word behold has this idea of look, take care to observe, give your attention to this one. It was a common Hebrew word in the Old Testament and it was used many times by the prophets to direct the hearer or for us, the reader's attention. And God says, behold, pay attention to the suffering of this one, of this servant. His testimony will be astounding. We are pointed towards two aspects of the servant's testimony. First of all is his testimony of worth. He was a servant. He was a servant of the Lord. Servant refers to the one who did hard work in obedience to his master. It reminds us that servants didn't fulfill their own desires. Rather, they, their goal was to please the one that they served. Servants were completely dedicated to their master. They were completely devoted to their master's instructions. Their objective was to ignore their own wishes and to serve this Lord and Master. This is what Christ did as a suffering servant. The Gospels tell us that Jesus came to earth not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Christ was completely committed to accomplishing His Father's will. You remember that in the garden on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. His desire was to do the will of his Father. We understand the Bible to teach that each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are equal in their essence. But there is an order to the Trinity. And as we read it in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, Christ emptied himself in taking on the form of a servant. One of the astonishing aspects of the suffering servant is his testimony of worth. He is the servant of God. The creator came to serve the creature. His whole mission in taking on flesh was to carry out his father's bidding. Friends, when you consider Christ's servitude on your behalf, when you behold the suffering servants, when you consider the devotion of Jesus to his master's will, it should call to mind your own devotion 
your own service to your master? Are you devoted to the mission of Christ? Or are you apathetic in your master's calling? The suffering of servant's testimony is astonishing because it speaks of his worth as God's servant. But his testimony is not only astonishing because it speaks of his worth, it's also astonishing because he has a testimony of wisdom. Verse 13 says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Or other ways to to translate that, or to, to act wisely, that he will prosper. The suffering servant has the reputation. He has the testimony of acting with wisdom. In fact, the suffering servant is wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says, But to those who are called, both the Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is wisdom. The end of verse 13 and all of verse 15 reveal the astonishing exaltation of Christ. And we're going to come to that in, in just a few minutes. But that exaltation did not come by accident. That exaltation was not just happenstance or a set of circumstances that happened to come about. That exaltation came as a result of the suffering servants dealing prudently or acting wisely. Pastor John MacArthur said it this way, Jesus was not some well-meaning victim of a plan that surprisingly went horribly wrong. He acted wisely. He knew exactly how his life would end, down to the minutest detail. And he had known it since before the foundation of the world when the plan of salvation was formed. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what, how his death was going to come about. And he still obeyed. That's astonishing. That's, that's, that's not how you and I would behave. If we could tell the future and we could see what, something dreadful was coming, coming our way, something absolutely dreadful, we would do everything we could to run the other direction, to run away from our master's calling to that end. But Jesus acted wisely. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. My friend, that speaks to Christ's love for you and for me. The truth that the suffering servant has a testimony of worth and wisdom is a word of hope for you on this Lord's Day. Christ was fully devoted to his unique role as a suffering servant of the Lord. His testimony is astonishing. And it's a testimony that we are called to proclaim. When you come into membership at Harvest Bible Church, you share your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So you gather with a couple of elders, and you, set, you, tell, you tell your story. You tell how God, His grace, reached you. And you tell if you heard the gospel on the radio, and you believed the gospel. Or you tell how a parent was influential in proclaiming the gospel to you. You tell your story of grace, of how God reached into your life and rescued you. We often call it a testimony. Some of those testimonies catch us by surprise or have an unusual twist to them. And we, we rejoice in those and we think, wow, look what God did. But none of those testimonies are like Christ's testimony. His testimony is that of a slave. His testimony is that, uh, that of someone who acted prudently, who acted wisely, even when it meant death for him. Behold, the astonishing, suffering servant. He is the only one who can take away your sins. 
So he has an astonishing testimony. Secondly, the suffering servant is astonishing in his humiliation. We read it in verse 14. As many were astonished, or astonished, at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. This verse is placed between two verses that point us to the greatness of Christ, and to the exaltation of Christ. This is kind of like a valley between verses 13 and 15 that talk about his exaltation. This is the valley of his humiliation. And that's the point. Christ's humiliation was astonishing. Not in the same way that we think of astonishing, like we would see a bride at a wedding, on her wedding day, or a, a, a new car astonishes its new owner, or a mystery novel astonishes its reader. No. Christ was humiliated to such an extent that his actual physical appearance was appalling. It was astonishing. The greatest humiliation of the suffering servant came at the cross. It was shocking to the onlookers. Christ had astonished people many times in his earthly ministry. For years, he astonished people with his ability to heal the blind, to feed the hungry, to walk on water. Christ had astonished people with his teaching in his Sermon on the Mount, his teaching in the temple, his teaching in the homes of friends. Christ had astonished people with his love for the sinner and compassion for the crowds as he saw them. But now Christ is going to be astonishing in a whole new way. This word astonished, it's talking about being appalled. It could be translated numbed petrified, paralyzed. This is the humiliation that Christ endured. Public humiliation. Nakedness, the mar of sin, completing, completely that was completely foreign to Him. The Father turning His face away. The physical torment of the cross. Totally devastating. It was inhumane. This is what Psalm 22 refers to. Verses 14 through 17. Christ's appearance was so marred it was beyond human semblance. He was so disfigured by the cruelty that was exacted on him that his body could not e would, did not even appear to be human. It began in Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal and his arrest. Then there was the exhaustion that he was dealing with at the cross. Thinking about the experience of being separated from his father. Sweat drops of, of, of blood. The next day, Christ was hit in the head. He was spit upon. He was flogged. He was beaten by the chief priest and then the Romans. And then Pilate had, him, had it ordered that he would be scourged. A long whip with leather, with, with leather straps attached. Each strip had sharp pieces of bone or stone. He was tied to a post with hands above his head. Very well could have been with suspended without his, his feet even touching the ground. The whip would tear open skin, exposing internal organs. Many times this scourging process was itself the cause of death before the victims could be crucified. And then there was the crucifixion, the most torturous death sentence. One description has it this way, including dizziness, cramping, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, tetanus, the publicity of shame, long continuance of torment, horror of anticipation, 
untended wounds, all intensified just up to the point at which the victim could endure these, but stopping just short of the point which would bring unconsciousness or even death. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse number 14 is the Bible's most graphic one-verse description of our Lord's extreme disfigurement. His face was so marred that he no longer appeared to be a human. But his humiliation was not limited to physical pain. There was shame. There was suffering. He took on sin. He who knew no sin bore your sin, bore my sin. The Creator was pierced for the transgressions of His creations. His degradation was the deepest possible, the most severe, and the most horrible. Christian, the truth of the suffering servant was astonishing in His humiliation. It's a word of hope for you today. Jesus' humiliation was so deep, it was so astonishing, it was so horrid, it was, it was so difficult, so condemning that was able to make payments for all of your sin. It had to go that low in order to make payment for your sins of greed and covetousness and our sins of lust and theft and selfishness and pride and anger. Jesus paid it all. He went to that length Behold, the astonishing, suffering servant. He is the only one who can take away your sins. So the suffering servant is astonishing in this testimony of his worth and wisdom. He is astonishing in his humiliation. With the third part of this first stanza of the song also tells us that the suffering servant is astonishing in his exaltation. The end of verse 13 says, He shall be exalted and extolled, and be very high. So shall, verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Verse 13, the servant is very high. Verse 14, the servant is low. Verse 15, it changes to the future tense and gloriously triumphant verb again. Remember, Isaiah is prophesying of a day that is future still to us. So Israel looks back at Christ's humiliation, but looks forward to his full exaltation. And just like people were completely taken back by the humiliation of the suffering servants, we will all be taken back by the complete exaltation, the, the astonishing exaltation of the same suffering servants. Just like people were taken back by his humiliation, we will be taken back by his exaltation. Verse 13 says he was exalted, he was extolled, he was high. We shouldn't necessarily be thinking synonyms along there. Rather, the degrees of it. He was resurrected, then he ascended, and then the coronation. An exaltation that's unique to Jesus. Kings. I've not met a king, but I imagine kings think that everything rises and falls on their one word. One day, those kings will be without words. Their mouths will be shut in their astonishment of Christ's exaltation. The whole world will know about Christ's return. Matthew 24 tells us, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, 
And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with a power and great glory. Chapter 26, Jesus said, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, the prophet tells us that people all over the world who have never heard God's word and evidently do not understand who God is, it's at this point that God's going to open their eyes, that he's going to reveal to them the truth of the suffering servants. Christian, the suffering servants will be astonishing in his exaltation. That truth is a word of hope for you today. Jesus is coming again. The Creator is coming for His creations. He's coming again to take us home. He's taking us to a place of no more tears, no more sorrow. He's taking us to the place that He has prepared for us. He's going to take us to be with Him face to face for all of eternity. That's not a hope. That's a promise that He's made to us. Behold the astonishing, suffering servant. He is the only one who can take away your sins. His testimony of worth and wisdom, his humiliation beyond recognition, his exaltation to the highest of highs. We read of it in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the servant, the suffering servant of the Lord. And Jesus knew that we would need to be reminded of what extents that he went to us, for us. And so he instituted this, this practice for the church, that when we gather, that we would remember, that we would look back, even as this song looks back to his humiliation, that we would look back to his humiliation as well and rejoice in it and take hope in it and that we would remember that our sins are under the blood of Jesus and that we bear them no more. So let's take our Red Majesty hymnal and turn